people ask, who's, you know, Kevin Tell you played with him, like, he's a really good baseball player. That's all they would say. And now it's like, man, like, that guy's a good teammate. Like, he was one of the, you know, coolest guys I got to hang out with. Just a great, unselfish person. That's what you want people to remember you by, you know? was the bitter, most bitter person in the world. You didn't want to be around me. I mean, none of my teammates you know, liked me, and the coaches, I was hard to work with. And it, it showed, I was a bitter person all the time. And I had to get that love for the game, like really enjoy going in the field and playing with the guys, having that chemistry and the bonds with the people, like, because that's what we play for. Like. I, I'm not one to complain about it because I, I'm, like I said, I've been at the bottom, and so this for me, this this is heaven. Like I couldn't be happier. My name is Tim Hyman, and this is Beyond the Slash Line, a podcast where we explore the personal lives of minor league baseball players. Our guest in this episode is Kevin Taylor. Taylor's road to AA has been far from smooth. After getting kicked off his junior college team and having a scholarship to Arizona State fall through due to academic issues, Taylor stumbled into Pro Bowl as a 36th round pick of the Dodgers. He had no backup plan after they released him following a position change and Tommy John surgery. His wake-up call did not arrive until he fell into independent baseball. Newly married, with a fresh outlook on his career, Taylor is ready to change his path in his second chance at Affiliated Bowl. This is Kevin's story. Enjoy. This is the Beyond the Slash Line podcast. We're happy to be joined by a current member of the New York Mets organization, Kevin Taylor. Kevin, just to give you the skinny on how this podcast works, we're not looking at stuff on the field so much. It's more the things away from the field. Not only what brought you to this level and how you got here, but your hopes and dreams going forward, balancing the rigors of playing pro ball, all while balancing personal relationships and, and all that. So what we'd like to do for every guy that joins this podcast is give you the first word and just describe maybe how you got to this point. What was your road from... Portland, Oregon, where you were born to maybe your first few days in pro ball to, to fill in the gaps to that point, and you right. can go as long as you'd like. Yeah, that's going to be a long story, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. The, the, the floor is yours. Yeah, so um, man, started playing obviously like everybody else really early on. You know, dad put a bat in my hands as soon as he could, you know, two, three years old. Started playing t-ball four years old, you know, played baseball as much as I could growing up, and that's really hard in Portland, you know, it rains a lot pretty known that there's not a lot of baseball players that come out of that area just because it's so hard, you know, to play. And, uh, you know, kept working at it, you know, finally grew into my body a little bit in high school. Um, slowly just kind of got a little bit better after junior season, started, you know, working out, really, you know, focusing and like realizing like this could be, you know, a potential dream for me. And senior year was incredible. Like everything couldn't have gone better. Like you name it, player of the year awards for the state, um, all-star state series, triple-A home run derby. I mean, it was like the coolest thing ever. Like it couldn't have gone better. Um, you know, only problem was, uh, grades were always an issue for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's something I definitely regret. I try not to dwell on it, but I'm one of those people that loves to learn from his mistakes and, you know, learn from everything that I've done. And so recruiting was tough. Didn't get recruited from many schools. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of interest, but everybody knew about the grades and maturity issues. And so I decided to go to junior college, Western Nevada College. It's uh, in Carson City, near Reno. And played two years there. Had a lot of struggles. 
Um, you know, a lot of a lot of personal on-field issues, off-the-field issues. Uh, I just needed to grow up. It was a very tough transition for me. I was, you know, a big mama's boy, uh, just such a homebody. Like I, you know, basically everything that you kind of learn growing up, trying to do just independently, I had to learn on my own, like on the fly, as soon as I got to college. And it was a tough. There's like a really tough transition, and so um, I had a lot of issues there. I actually ended up get, getting kicked off the team my sophomore year. Um, with issues going in the gym, I was late. Um, I just wasn't working hard, you know. I didn't take life seriously. I thought I could just rely on my talent and making it. So um, honestly, I got recruited to play at Arizona State, and I actually signed a scholarship. And I called the coach when I got kicked off the team, and he said, "You know, we still would really love to have you. You know, we see you being a middle of the order guy for us." And as you know, anybody who goes to Arizona State and hits in the middle of the order has a lot of potential to make it. And all I had to do was graduate, and I just couldn't pull it together. I went to summer school, still just was not focused, and I had to end up, luckily I got drafted by the Dodgers, and so I had to take them up on that offer. I actually was going to go to an NAIA school in Kentucky called Campbellsville, but I just wanted to go play professional baseball, you know, that's everybody's dream. And I figured... You know, I'll take a shot. I figure my talent's going to take me. But unfortunately, I wish somebody would have explained to me how, you know, it kind of works with being drafted higher and having more opportunities. And so, yeah, I mean, ended up going playing for the Dodgers, signed, didn't play much first year. Second year, they kind of let me in. Uh, Tommy John surgery that year, 2012. I actually had Tommy John surgery on my 21st birthday. So instead of, you know, going out and partying on your 21st, I was laying in bed, you know, trying to recover from the from the surgery. And so, yeah, you know, kept going with the Dodgers, just same kind of thing. A lot of maturity issues didn't quite, you know, do what I wanted to do on the field, didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Had to go play independent baseball. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure you read all about it. It's a very hard process. It's very tough to get back into the game. And but finally, you know, the Mets called me and said, hey, we want to sign you. And you know, thank God I got the second opportunity. I want to go back to the, the high school days and, and the junior college days. Was there anyone in particular that was really harping on you to right the ship and, and, and get focused? Um, I had a lot of people during that time. I always had teammates, coaches, the head coach. You know, it's funny is when I, when he kicked me off the team, I begged him, like, please, like, give me another chance. He said, you know what? This is good for you. I promise you one day you're going to call and thank me for this. And at the time I was like, you know, really pissed off. I'm like, what are you, are you kidding me right now? Like, just let me play. He said, no, just trust me. You're going to thank me later. And you know, that it still didn't really hit me. Honestly, it took till I got into independent baseball, my first, actually second year to really kind of figure it out. But even I'm growing up, my parents, everybody, I, teachers, everybody's just kept, you have so much potential here, coaches. And it just, it really never clicked until I got released by the Dodgers. So when, when you finally have it, it's, it's striking because this game requires so much dedication and it, it requires so much focus that guys that don't have that get weeded out pretty quickly. And it's, it's striking that you made it through a couple of seasons with the Dodgers, one setback after another with them, even before you got to this point with the New York Mets. It really was the wake-up call, though, when you got to Indy Ball that said, okay, this is, this is sink or swim time now. 100%. I mean, you just hit the low of lows, you know. You're on a bus, like, everybody's in the same boat, like, you know, whether they've been released, traded, like, everybody has the same story. And all of a sudden, it's like, whatever it is, it just hits you like, wow, I'm not playing professional baseball anymore. Like, everybody talks about, man, I wish I would have done a little bit more, you know, this and that. And it's like, 
it hit me. I mean, luckily they have independent baseball. Like back in the day, you know, you're done. Like that was it. Like nobody called you anymore. And, you know, I had a really good friend that uh, I played with at the time. You know, it's funny as I actually showed up, I played for Traverse City, Michigan in independent baseball. And I showed up, he was already one of my best friends in high school and he played professional baseball, got released, he's on the team. And he told the coach about me and he said, hey, we're gonna bring you in for spring training. I had a pretty good idea, like I'm gonna make the team. They ended up releasing me. I didn't even make the squad. Like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I, that's when I hit the lowest. Like, I was like, I can't even make an independent team. Like, what am I doing with my life? And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I'm going to have to go back to school. Like, I had no idea. And what's funny is, like, I want to say two weeks into the season, like, they had one or two injuries, and then they called me back. Say, hey, we want you to come back and play for us. And I'm like, okay, now it's time. I literally hit the gym every day with my friend. He forced me to go. He's like, kept this, like, you you know, laid it on paper. This is how it is. Like, this is what you're going to have to do if you want to make it. And that's when it was like, wow, like I really need to step it up. And as soon as I got there, it's like the same thing that's been since then. I get that once I get that opportunity, I mean, I'm just locked in, like I'm ready to go. What other concrete things did you do differently outside of just simply working out more? Yeah, it was more of a mental thing. Basically, no more partying after the game. I, I went home. I make sure I got my sleep. I make sure I called my family. You know, I make sure I spend time with friends. And I also surrounded myself with the right friends. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to ever call anybody out of the Dodgers, but I surrounded myself with the wrong people. And that's huge in this game. Like, you got to be around people that are going to make you better, not just in baseball, but a better person. And that was huge. Like, I had a great host family out there, great friends, great teammates. And it's just, I, I, I became a better person in life and not just on the baseball field. You know what I mean? And that's just huge. Like, you need those people outside that kind of just always are pushing you to be better. Did that click immediately, or was that a rough transition to go from the life previously noted about maybe not being in the, with the best crowd to suddenly being with people that are helping you and almost encouraging you to, to get better, not only on the field, but in life? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for anybody, it's, it's gonna, you're always going to have struggles. You're going to have influences and you know people kind of pulling you, pulling your arm, saying, hey, come out with us. You know, let's, let's go have a drink. And it was a constant battle. You know, It's something I had to pray constantly about. And... Luckily, like I said, I had the, that, those teammates that just constantly kept, like, you, you know, don't do this. And I had, you know, my parents and, you know, honestly, it was that, that struggle. I still struggled during that season. And I want to say it honestly wasn't until I met my wife the next off, like that off season after I played in Traverse City. That was the turning point. Like when I took that, like I played okay there, but that's when I really made that jump. And she's my biggest inspiration for, you know, who I am today. Do you miss those days at all? I mean, I'm sure there was fun at the time. Yeah. But you've seen what you've done to this point. Are there certain aspects that you miss about it? Absolutely not. Like, not even, like, a small part of me. Like, I'm such a better person. I'm so happy with who I am today as a person, not just a baseball player. People know me as a great teammate. You know, I used to be, you know, oh, he's a great baseball player. When people ask, who's, you know, Kevin Taylor, you played with him, like, he's a really good baseball player that's all they would say and now it's like man like that guy's a good teammate like he was one of the you know coolest guys i got to hang out with just a great unselfish person that's what you want people to remember you by you know how much did faith and religion help you in that transition it was huge i also that off season after i played in Traverse city i started going to bible study i had a pastor that really encouraged me also i started doing bible studies every day praying i mean i was you know it was night and day People could tell I started talking to other people. They could see that change happen in that offseason. Just they could just see me. And as soon as they started talking to me, I'm like, 
man, like you're, you're a different person. I can just see like this light, like this glow around, like you're, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Do you ever think about where you would be if you didn't have that friend that encouraged you to continue to work out before Traverse City called you again? You think about where you are with it, where you'd be without him. Yeah, I honestly have no idea. I'm a big believer in that, you know, God has a purpose for your life and he puts people in your life for a reason. And, you know, I, I think I went through those trials and tribulations for a reason. I think that he knew I wasn't ready for certain situations and he knew I had to go through those struggles in order to become the person I am, you know. And he knows things had to work out in a certain way for me to meet my wife. You know, it wasn't just a coincidence, you know. That was a crazy story, too. I mean, I had a buddy that I worked out with, and he got released. He went to school at San Diego State with his wife, and his wife met my current wife down there in Spanish class. And so when they had their baby, she happened to be single at the time as well. And so they, you know, she came up. She's a nanny, so she came up. She wanted to see the baby, you know, babysit and just meet, see them again. And they introduced us, and instantly, like, we just hit it off. Like, it was right away I was like, oh, man, like, this is like when people say, like when you know, you know, it was instantly like, okay, you know, this is this is happening. And what, when was this again? When did you wind up meeting Erin? I met her in, that would have been 2014. So she came around Halloween that, that off season. So you, you packed quite a bit into your first couple of years in your, your late teens and in early 20s. How do, you, how do you share experiences like that to other people that might be in a similar boat to where you were fresh out of junior college? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I've had so many friends that have gone through the same thing, same struggles, whether it's girlfriends, relationships, or on-field issues, off-field issues. I love sharing my story. I love saying, here's how it was. Like, I see you going down this path, too. Like, this is, you know, I'm trying to help you understand where I was. I was in Laredo, Texas, taking a 26-hour bus ride to Fargo, North Dakota. You know, like, you don't (laughs) want to be on that bus. Like, be happy. Like, you know, I hear people, this is such a grind in Dublin. What do we have, like a six hour bus ride? You know, try to, they don't understand. And it, it's something I try to, like, you know, really nail down in people's heads. Like, you are so lucky to be here. Don't lose this opportunity because most people don't get a second chance. I want to rewind the tape a little bit to go back to your time with the Dodgers. And this is, we always prepare notes coming in. And one of the things that jumped out that we've talked about before is the fact that you played a certain position in college, and when the Dodgers brought you in, they, they put you somewhere else. And again, this podcast is not so much about nuts and bolts on field, but was there you know a disappointment level in that, that they wanted you to fit into a different role, even maybe if that wasn't you know fully in line with your skill set? For sure. It was really uncomfortable when you know I heard the Dodgers scouts say, hey, we want to draft you as a second baseman. I heard your arm's not too too good, and... Uh, everybody profiles you at second base and that's not something you want to hear but of course when you see that you've been drafted as a second baseman you're not going to argue with anybody you know and it's so hard you show up to I showed up to Arizona League and they said they just threw me out there like I I didn't even tell anybody I've never played second base and all of a sudden I'm you know flipping balls across (laughs) the infield for double plays no idea what I'm doing and that's hard that's a tough transition you spent your whole life at shortstop and third base that's a completely different angle at second base you know, I, I played so nervous, like I would feel my shoulders like after the game, like in my neck, like just from the stress of trying to play second base and be worrying about where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, you don't, it's hard. Tough transition it's for sure. Exhausting. They're both mentally and physically. Right. Completely. I mean, it just at all times, like I'm thinking, like even at home, like where am I supposed to be? This ball's hit to the gap. And it's like as a baseball player, you can't do that. It's all it's like driving. It's just second nature. Like you just 
as soon as the ball's hit, you just react. And like if you're thinking, you're you're done. Like you can't play. Was there anyone that reached out during that time, those first couple of seasons when you were making that transition? Um, you know, there's a couple a couple of infielders that that worked with me. The coaches were really good. We had a lot of um, coordinators and. Uh, the coach, John Shoemaker, is a big name in the Dodgers system. He's a great guy. You know, everybody who talks of Shoemaker, best person in the world. You know, he's been in the organization, I swear, for like 50 years. Like, he's he really reached out, and every day he would work with me, trying to be loose. And I'll play like, play like the guys back home, like the big leaguers that you know in the infield. And he would go out of his way to, to work with me every day. And I got comfortable. You know, I feel like I could still go out there and play well, but it's just, it wasn't something that was really comfortable. But I really appreciate, you know, him reaching out and helping me for sure. So you go from junior college where you've got to balance academics and playing on the baseball team, and we've already discussed some of the struggles there, to transitioning to Pro Bowl where your only job is just to simply play. There's no classes, there's no work to get done in terms of physical handwritten work. How strange was that transition going from something you struggled at in junior college to maintain that academic standing to now suddenly being just a baseball player? Right. Um, I wouldn't say it was a tough transition. I, I would say it was more uncomfortable because you had something you did have to worry about. It was still in the back of my mind that I had academics and stuff. And so, I mean, that downfield time, instead of worrying about school and, like, you know, other stuff, it was just strictly where that time should have been spent sleeping, recovering, or working out. It was spent on partying or, you know, going out with the guys, hanging out with the guys. And it's just it, your, my priorities were so out of whack. Was it to excess or was it just simply just going out and maybe just spending your time in the wrong way? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it's just like the worst possible, you know, situation you can imagine, like going out and basically being hung over the next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I'll be honest, like it was bad. I mean, it's just I would try to basically forget my bats like from the day before mm-hmm. and just try to relax. And that's the only way I knew how. A few years into your time with the Dodgers, as you mentioned, you have to undergo Tommy John surgery, which puts everyone on the shelf for about 9 to 12 months. So you're not allowed to play. You can't get back on the field. Can you take me through that time period and where you were at that point in your career? Yeah. Um, when it happened, I was starting – that's when I honestly really started to feel comfortable at second base. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, was, I, I think it was – for me, I, I started to feel – uncomfortable with my elbow I started to feel pain in high school I, I pitched a ton growing up I was like always known as a pitcher like position player was kind of second like I just threw way too much felt the pain in high school didn't really think much of it and then in, in, obviously with the Dodgers it's like I started to feel it and then just that one day like you feel that rubber band snap and it's like you know you never think that's going to be you especially as a second baseman I tell people like you know they everybody's so surprised you had Tommy John you know really like like yeah, I mean, it just those throws from second base. It's all arm, you know. You got to throw a sidearm, and you're not, it's a it's a new motion for me. I'm not used to it, and I just felt that rubber band snap, and just that feeling, like you know, you can't explain it. It's just all of a sudden, like you're just numb, your whole body, not just your arm. Like I I I couldn't explain it. It's like it's like an out of body experience. Like oh no, like this is it. Like what am I gonna do? And I knew instantly that it's gonna be Tommy John, and just the feeling of going in the clubhouse, and I just. I remember thinking, man, I, I just need to do this as soon as possible. They always kind of waiting around, like, maybe we'll try to rehab it. I said, no, like, let's do this, get the MRI. They said, yeah, you have a 90% tear, not fully torn. And I'm like, well, that's not something you can really rehab. Like, you know, let's do this. And the funny thing is, I remember going back, and there was a buddy of mine that was also having Tommy John. 
And so he told me, I'm like, hey, how long after you get your MRI, when are you going to have your surgery? And he's like, oh, like two weeks, like on the day. And I was like, looking at the calendar, I'm like, that's not my birthday. I'm like, I'm going to tell the coaches, like, there's no way. It, like 21st birthday, that's not happening. And it's just like, sure enough, I, I show up the next day and say, like, hey, your surgery's on the 13th. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. He said, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's, hap that's happening. I'm sorry. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And so, like, you get all that anxiety, like, building up, like, just building up for the surgery, like, so nervous about it. Luckily, the doctor took care of me. Everything went well. And, you know, I love sharing my story about that. Like, that whole rehab process was bad. But even then, like I said, it, was, it wasn't, I didn't take my rehab seriously. And I wish I did because, like, I didn't come back as strong as I'd hoped. They kind of, they maybe rushed me back a little bit too soon. But I didn't have that strength. Like, you got to take that part seriously. Or else, you know, when people say you came back stronger, that's because they took their rehab seriously. They did everything they could. I was still going out. I mean, I have pictures of me in a cast, like, holding a drink. Like, I mean, that's how bad it was, you know. I, I just, making bad decisions even during rehab, didn't take it seriously. And, you know, I'm sure the word got around in the organization that, you know, Kev, you know, he has a problem. Like, he needs to take life and baseball seriously. And I you know, it didn't, it didn't happen until later. Did you ever think about your standing in the organization, even aside from the off-the-field stuff where you were 36-round pick, and, and for a lot of people, they're viewed as maybe a guy that's brought in to, to fill some spaces, maybe on the infield, in, in their case, at second base. Did you think about maybe where you were in that Dodger system of, of your standing and, and what your future would be with that? Right. That, that's, that's something as soon as I got there that I finally, like, understood. And nobody ever explained to, the, to me that part of it. You know, I hate sadly that's the way the baseball world works and I understand that it's a it is a business you know you have your investments and they have to play I completely get it and that's really hard you know that's something mentally you say man like this isn't fair like I'm getting screwed kind of thing like and then that, that's when you start having those regrets about wow if I just would have took, taken school seriously I could have been at Arizona State I could have been a third rounder or whatever you know it's like the money invested is such a big part of it and that, that's that stuff that ate me like inside you know, all the time I was thinking, wow, if I just would have taken school seriously, like those thoughts started creeping in all the time. And yeah, th that's right. I, sh I needed to change my life. But at the same time, you can't dwell on those things. I would do that all the time. I constantly like, it's like I put it on my family or other people, like blaming other people for my mistakes. Like you can't do that. You know, it's horrible. Would you say you got bitter? Oh, for sure. hundred percent. I mean, it was a bitter, most bitter person. I, you didn't want to be around me. I mean, none of my teammates, you know, liked me and the coaches, it was, I was hard to work with. And it showed I was a bitter person all the time. Does that snowball from there? I mean, once you have that separation from teammates and coaches where suddenly you almost play into that role of being that guy that's maybe in a sour mood more often than not? Yeah. I mean, it's just constantly, you know, it's hard when you have a coach that really likes you and he sees the potential. He's like, man, like, let's work. And then he's, you know, he's at a certain point, they say, and that's like, I, you know, I give up, you know, and you see that. It's, it hurts you. you know, when you see people giving up on you like that, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. End of spring training 2014, the Dodgers release you. Can you take me through what happened that day? How did they break the news and, and where you go from there? Yeah, you know, what's funny is I showed up to spring training that year, great shape, and I would be the first one showing up to camp. I would try to show that, you know, I'm ready to play because, you know, I knew I had a feeling – that you know things weren't weren't going great didn't have a great year the, the year before it's so when I could tell coaches 
you know, people, they say that when you serve the spring training, they already know what, what's, what's going to happen. And I would go out of my way to try to reach out to coaches like, Hey, I want to do early work. And they kind of like shoot me away. Like they already know. I can see the writing on the walls, like coaches were acting funny, play again. It was horrible. And so I even got put in the extended group. You know, I was in groups five or six, whatever it was. They were putting me on the field that didn't even get to play games. And I, like instantly, I remember that day I'm sitting in my locker and all of a sudden the hitting coordinator comes in. And, Kev, you know, Dijon wants to see you. And, and all of a sudden that feeling sink, sinks in. And like, I just remember shaking, you know, like I, I couldn't, my, I couldn't control my hands. Like I knew exactly what was happening. Sit down in the office and, um, Han, uh, Jan, John Vasquez, who actually plays for Hartford, he was the first one to go in. And, um, I just remember him coming out and, you know, got a little bit of tears and, you know, he, he didn't even say anything, kept his head down, walked out, you know, I go in the office, he's, you know, he's talking to me, he's just, Hey, you know, you're, you know, you're not you're doing what we need. Like your arm strength's not there. Uh, we can't, you don't really have a position. You tried you at third base, second base. Like it's just, we, there's no fit. There's no room here. And, you know, you know, sorry, we're gonna have to let you go. Like, let me know if you need anything. Right. And that's took every ounce of me, you know, it's just like, that's so hard. Like really you just reach over and be a professional. Like, Hey, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And just that feeling of going to my locker, you know, I was trying to hold back tears, you know, and just, packing up your stuff in front of everybody that's still in the locker room. Everybody's really like, you know, KT got released kind of thing. And I just, yeah, that's, it brings back a lot of just horrible feelings. Right after that meeting, did you think your career was over? Did you think you had a chance to, to latch on with somebody else at that point? Right away, I definitely thought it was, it was over, like my life's over kind of thing. Like, it's all I've ever known. It's just baseball. Never had any backup plan, especially I didn't even finish school. So it's like all of a sudden reality sets in. And luckily I knew my buddy that was playing independent baseball. But at that time, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm just thinking, man, like this is over. And me being like the ignorant person, though, I was automatically thinking like the next day, oh, I'm going to go play independent baseball and crush it and get picked up right away, you know, that kind of thing. But I didn't have numbers to back it up. That's something you kind of have to go independent baseball. Even one season, you got to prove it like two years in a row before like somebody's like, oh, the, you know, this kid's starting to figure it out kind of thing. Who was your support staff at that point? Because I'm doing the math right, you hadn't met your wife yet. Yeah. Was it still your parents then? Yeah, parents for sure. They, they've always been the ones to, to pick me up. Just like when I got released in college, you know, they're very supportive. Like uh, every, every time, you know, something bad happens. When I went, went home after that, they said, this isn't over. You know, this is just another, you know different direction different path you're gonna have to go on like it's you know you still have a lot of potential like this isn't it there's other teams that might want you like there's always another chance and that you know i didn't believe him but they're always the first ones to pick me up you know did it always focus around baseball as is them propping you up or were there other discussions about okay maybe baseball isn't the answer there are other options out there in the quote-unquote real world yeah of course i mean my mom always tells me that she's so you have so many gifts and talents. Like you, you can, there's anything you can do anything. And I, you know, I always I, I ignore. But I'm, I, I finally believe that. You know, I, I know that there's other things I can do. I'm a smart person. It's just you know, once I put my you know strength and energy into something, I, I can do anything. I, I know that now. And uh, yeah, at the time, I, I, I wasn't that confident person. I wasn't you know, I was afraid. You know, what I, I knew only baseball and. That's all I wanted to do. You find your way to Traverse City. You don't make the team initially. You get the call back. 
where are you at this point in terms of you know your mental focus once you finally get this spot on the roster with Traverse City? Yeah, I mean you've like you you see a lot of people you know going through the motions, working out and stuff, and their focus level on the field um, is I just. I mean, there wasn't a day that you would go to the gym and you weren't, you wouldn't see me there, you know? I mean, it's just, like I said, the focus and the drive was all of a sudden there. As soon as I got back, I, it was that I want to prove this, this coach wrong. It was kind of like, you know, screw you, buddy. Like, really, like, he didn't, he would always tell me little things like, you know, you didn't have the arm strength, like, you're not good at this position, you can't do this and this. And, you know, I'm sure I haven't talked to him since, like, like my last day playing there and they traded me, like, you know, I'm sure he would love to say, like, you know, I always saw the potential hitting. It's just the other stuff and this and this. But I always just saw it as, like, let me prove this guy wrong. I'd never had that before, you know. Was that the that this is your manager in Traverse City? Right. Was that the length of the season then? It was almost that contentious relationship? Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, he, I always felt kind of bitter. Like, I, you know, I held, like, almost a little grudge against him. And I shouldn't have. He's a great guy, a great person. And I understand, you know, what he was saying. But that, it was nice at the time. Like, I like... Now I actually like the people telling me, "Hey, you can't do this." Like, I love proving people wrong, you know. When you talked about your time with the Dodgers, you talked about maybe your isolation from teammates and coaches. What were the relationships like in Traverse City with a fresh new clubhouse? Yeah, well, everybody in independent ball is amazing because they're there for the love of the game. So you have just the coolest teammates. Everybody's hilarious. Like everybody's working hard. I mean, it's just an awesome group. It was cool to be part of a team like that. Because in pro ball, unfortunately, you'll have some personalities, some selfish people that, you know, think they're on top of the world. And everybody there is off to the same goal. Everybody just loves playing. Everybody gets along with each other. And it was just so cool to be part of that and really get that love for the game back. Like people, you know, you get so like tied up in the business side of it. And I lost I lost that when I was dollars. Like a lot of people do. And I had to get that love for the game back, like really enjoy going in the field and playing with the guys, having that chemistry and the bonds with the people, because like, that's what we play for. Like, you know, you carry those relationships for a lifetime. I still talk to people on that team. A lot of things I hear from guys with a similar story that went to independent ball and get back to affiliated ball, talk about really the lack of entitlement in an independent league team's clubhouse. Is that accurate? I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, everybody... Everybody has different viewpoints on, you know, on everything. I mean, my biggest thing is just, I just love the unselfishness of, of players in that league. Like everybody's like, even guys on the other team, they're always talking to those guys and like hanging out with those people. It's just like, everybody's so cool and laid back and down to earth. It's just very refreshing. Was there outside of the, the infamous bus ride when you were with Laredo, was there a welcome to independent ball moment when you showed up to Traverse City? Yeah, luckily they had really good facilities and we probably have the best bus in like minor league baseball like the team bought had a super nice bus but i remember we played a team that I, th I think the team here last year did it as well they had a team that only played road games and i remember thinking like those kids are like the definition of grinders like literally no home you slept in a hotel you lived out of a suitcase like that was my wow this is independent baseball they don't even have a home you wrap up your season in traverse city put a ball on it were you happy with how the season went not bad. I, I still, um, I knew I had so much more in the tank. I, I still just didn't hit that second gear that I knew I was capable of. I, I did okay. Um, I've always played, it seemed like I had bad luck with playing in parks that weren't fit to a left-handed hitter. You know, I was just, 
I knew I had to do something extra. It was still just wasn't quite enough. And I didn't realize it wasn't the more the baseball side of it. It was the mental part. And that's where meeting Aaron that offseason really put me to that next level. Because I just finally made that transition to becoming the, the Christian man that I wanted to be, being that you know great person. I was able to separate life and baseball. That was just huge. And I never understood that until, you know, like I said, I met her. Were there concrete moments where she led you that way or did you just gradually transform into that? It was pretty, it was a little gradual, but instantly I saw something in her that I don't see in other people. Like her heart, the kind of person that she is, the unselfishness. I mean, she's a full-time nanny with kids. I mean, that's, you know, really hard to do. She works with special needs. I mean, she has parents that are incredible, also the most unselfish people I've ever met. And she's not one of those people that would just drill, you know, do this, like do this to become better. It was just her being that way made me want to be better. And that's the whole point in relationships. You want to be with somebody that challenges you and makes you a better person. And she just automatically being around her, that's what she does. Like she's that kind of person. So you came into that season with Laredo then, would you say the best shape of your life mentally then? hundred percent. Everything. I mean, shape wise, mentally. Um, but the thing is, it's, it's still a constant thing. It's not like all of a sudden you have it figured out. I mean, that was still a struggle. I mean, I, she still saw that I was, I needed to work on it. It's still, I, I still struggle with it today. It's not like all of a sudden I figure it out. It's still a struggle not to like want to throw my stuff or have a bad attitude. It, it's a constant battle with me. It's not something that just you flip a switch, but it's something that I've been working towards and working on. But that year, I, she didn't see it. She didn't know me before. It's like, wow, you still need to like, kind of work on your anger <laughs> issues. But like, I, for me, it was a huge jump as in like being able the next day to forget the day before. I would struggle that night. Maybe, you know, it'd be tough night's sleep. But then the next day, here we go. You know, I'm 0 for 0 again. What was the goal of the Raider? Was it to get back to a f- affiliated ball or to prove to yourself that you can do this and still hold your own in Pro Bowl? Right. It was a little bit of both. It, the American Association is pretty good baseball. And I, I thought, you know, when I was playing there, I was like, this isn't as good as I thought. But I think it was more I was, I made those transitions and I became a better baseball player that the game finally started to slow down. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it was obviously the main goal was to get back into affiliated ball. That's every independent baseball player's goal. And I, I set my goals at the beginning of the year, I was very confident with what Pete and Cavillia told me. He said, you know, you have the talent to be a major league hitter. It's the other stuff you need to work on, the little things. And that's still what they, you know, put on us today. Like, you got to work on the little things if you want to be a big leaguer. You're not Mike Trout. Like, I, you know, I get that. It's the running the bases, like, you know, being a good fielder, doing the little stuff. And, yeah, I mean, everything going in, I was very confident that I would have a good season and put in the work and things would work out. But even it didn't happen until... I want to say two weeks before spring training with the Mets. So, I mean, I was still ready. I actually got traded to Fargo. I was going to play in North Dakota and try to get picked up out of there. If I'm putting the pieces together correctly, you win a championship with Laredo, mm-hmm. then get traded to Gary South Shore in September following that season. Right. Then get dealt again in January to Fargo Moorhead. Where are you at this point mentally saying, all right, <laughs> is this really worth it? Yeah. You know, that's a talk that I had with, with Aaron is, do I really want to go to Fargo, North Dakota? Do I really want to keep doing this? And 
It was a, it was a battle. That I was I did go through a period of time where I might not want to do this. When I got traded to Gary, you know, nothing against Gary, but that's a tough area to play in. You know, I'm like, man, this is tough. And you know, they traded me Fargo. I'm like, oh, that's a good left-handed hitter's park, and maybe I can put up better numbers and get a chance there. And that was hard. You know, luckily Jim Reeves with the Mets, he um, he's a respected scout. And when Ian called him and said, hey, can your buddy, can your boy play first base? And he's like. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> it's been through enough already. I think you can get first base down. Right. So you, that call from the Mets reached out to, to you and your agent then? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't have an agent, so they just called me and said, hey, do you want to sign? And I said, well, yeah, but you know, let me get back to you. Like, What's the position like? And I actually, I'm an idiot. I, I was thinking, man. Maybe they're not going to give me the opportunities I want. They want to send me to St. Lucie. I was kind of hoping maybe you get a chance at Double A. I've been playing for so long, and Aaron told me, "Are you, are you crazy? The Mets just called. What are you calling back right now? Like, tell them you want to sign." I was like, "All you need is just an opportunity. Get your foot in the door." I was like, "Oh, okay." Like instantly, I called him back. I was like, "Hey, sorry. Like, yeah, let, let, let's do this. Let's, let, sorry, I want to sign." Was that who was that original phone call with with the New York Mets? Jen Wolf. She was new, and I am the first uh, Met that she signed. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So you very quickly called her back. Yes. And how long did that phone call last to plead your case to, to let them bring you back in? Yeah. I, I mean, I forget the time. I mean, I might have even called the next day, and I was just like, hey, please, like, you still have that spot available? And she's yeah, like, you know, we'd love to have you. We saw, And, yeah, thank God that they wanted me still. What's the timetable from there? The Mets bring you in. Do you report immediately to Florida? I think it was two weeks that I had to kind of get ready and do whatever I needed to do, like packing-wise and whatnot. And um, The problem was, is like, for me personally, like, like training in the offseason, you set your schedule to be ready at a certain point. And so I was ready to go play in a pains, but, you know, with a lemur, or sorry, Fargo in, like, May – and all of a sudden, like, I had to like rush, like, oh, like I need to get my arm strength like ready in in two weeks. And I mean, look, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was like something mentally. Like, I went to my trainer, like, we got to do all this stuff. And he's like, no, like you're kind of, it is what it is. And yeah, did it feel like a clean slate to walk back into a major league affiliated clubhouse with a new set of guys to create a full new impression, maybe even a new just reputation right i mean i remember first day walking to camp i was just like on cloud nine like i was so happy like just walking in with a huge smile on my face like being back here i'm not gonna you know just having that second chance and just seeing everybody there and i mean it was just the greatest feeling in the world and luckily i knew tim peterson we played junior college together and for two years and so I got to room with him. He made the transition a lot easier. And you know him, the funniest guy in the world. So he made life a lot easier. Awesome roommate. And I knew Casey. That was also helpful. But, yeah, just walking in and being part of that again and seeing the Mets logo, you know, right up there. It's like, wow, this is this is real. Tim played a pretty integral role that it almost bridging the gap to have you form new relationships then. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. He, he's kind of, hey, this is my buddy from, you know, from junior college. Like, he's cool. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't have to prove myself. I didn't have to do too much. And I'm kind of a quiet person and I, I slowly like open up. But I mean, everybody that I met in St. Lucie was great. We had an awesome group and it's always easier when you're winning. And yeah, it was fun. What was your new routine? I mean, we, we kind of have an idea of what your routine was with the Dodgers. What was your routine with the Mets last season? 
Yeah, I just kept doing what I was doing. I mean, just getting in early, getting my tee work, make sure I'm loose. It was mainly getting my body ready. Like before, I'd just show up and play. All of a sudden, when you, even when you're 24, it feels like you're 44, you know? Like you got to get mentally and physically warmed up, ready to go, make sure you don't get hurt. And so, you know, getting there early, making sure I'm all stretched out, getting the, um, the cage, you know, hit, do my routine there, make sure I'm all warmed up. Like I had a very precise... You know how baseball players are. It's very, here's how I'm going to do it every day, the routine. I'm not going to get out of it. Just kept doing it. Baseball always lends itself to maybe thinking back the, the quiet moments, whether it's after batting practice, getting ready for the game. There, there are a lot of quiet moments, a lot of downtime. Have you used that those moments to just think about where you've come to this point and the things you've experienced? Right, all the time. I mean, I love you know thinking about where I was at. Like I tell you about that bus ride, I, I just think about that stuff all the time. I just think about laying, you know, down in that sleeper bus. I think about getting released with the Dodgers. I think about getting released in Traverse City. I think about getting kicked off the team. I think about, you know, I even left the team in freshman year. I quit. I mean, it's just like I think about all the times I just, you know, been let down or I let myself down. And, I, you know, it's just motivation for me. I, I love very – I love my own – personal space and time not obviously i love hanging out with people love hanging out with my family and everything but i love that downtime of just relaxing and being myself i'm you know i'm the only guy that goes out to the cage before the game because i just love being in the tunnel and just you know collecting my thoughts before the game relaxing and just being happy and just so content like with everything going on what did it mean to you to not only come back for this season but come back and go to the next level that you weren't just in the Mets size a guy that could fill a gap in in first and left field and in high A, but now, okay, you moved out to double it. Yeah. I mean, I, I just am so thankful for, for Louis Rojas. I mean, not there's a lot of organizations and coaches that wouldn't give the independent ball guys a chance. You know, I'm very grateful for last season for him throwing me in the lineup in the Sunday day game. You know, like a lot of coaches, it doesn't matter who you are. You're just that feeling if somebody gets hurt and he's just – I get that opportunity. He's like, hey, let me give him another another opportunity. And, you know, once you prove yourself, Louis just loves winning, you know, and he, he's just he's going to put the best players out there that he thinks. And, yeah, I mean, just proving myself there last year and then same thing this year, you know, it's kind of starting at first, like, hey, am I going to have to earn it again? You know, I'm, it's just how it is. And once again, he just keeps putting me in the lineup and trusting me, and he sees how hard I've worked even from last year to this year, you know, putting in the effort in left field, be trying to – like I said, do the little things and become a better baseball player. A lot of guys we've talked to have such a large support staff back home, whether it's, in your case, a, a wife, fiancés, girlfriends, parents, extended family, that they're pulling for them every step along the way. With your support staff, do you feel like you're not only motivated to, to get to that next level for your own personal needs, but also because of all those that have supported you over the course of your career? Oh, for sure. I mean, I have so many, like you said, friends and coaches that I've had that always saw that potential, you know, always hoping, man, if that kid just figures it out. And it's just, it's so cool to have them text me like, hey, you know, I see that you're doing big things in, in Binghamton, you know, in Double A. like really proud of you. I knew I knew you'd turn the corner. And I, it's just such a great feeling to you know, have those people that believe in you and then finally, you know, show them that, you, you know, you're right. I, I like that support. I appreciate them still being with me through the hard times and pushing me to be better and better and is. Yeah, it feels really good. You are the first guy that's joined this podcast that has gotten through independent ball and then gotten back to affiliated ball. So I want to compare 
a little bit. I, I think one time, one thing we hear about is, you know, at the maybe the other independent leagues, the teams might not be as stable. Did you ever feel that where you were maybe with an unstable team or anything like that when you were in your, your two years in independent ball? Yeah, I mean, it's just a little more laid back, not as organized. It's, you know, do everything on your own. There's no structure. I mean, in Laredo and even Traverse City, there's no trainers. They have an athlete, a guy that's going to take care of your injuries and stuff, but they don't have an athletic trainer. You're on your own. So you got to go do your own work, your own, your own workout programs, and even on you know on the field in the clubhouse, it's just very do what you want, eat what you want. I mean, it's it's a completely different ball game. Everything here is a lot more structured. Granted, when you move up double AA, A, triple A, they start to say, hey, you know how to take care of yourself. Go do your thing. But it's it's a different world. As in, like all of a sudden you're on your own. You don't have somebody telling this is what you're going to do in the gym. You know what I mean? And that's the ironic thing about this whole journey for you is that you found your way in being more focused when you almost had the most liberties you've ever had in right. independent ball. Right. It, I've always kind of been one of those person, people that I like to figure things out on my own. I don't, I mean, I appreciate somebody telling me this is how it is, but at the same time, I'm ultimately I'm the one that's had to make the decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this. And I like having that liberty. I like being able to go to the gym every day and do what I need to do and feel like if, if I legs if my legs are sore, I like to be able to take that time off. You know, it's it's nice. I don't want to get into any specific numbers or anything, but I think we've seen a lot of documentation about pay for players at this level and across the board in minor league baseball. How did the pay in independent ball compare to where it is at this level where you are now, at Double A? Yeah. <laughs> so first year in Traverse City, it was making like the minimum, and you can look it up. It's you know not very much. And uh, once you get the American Association, you start to actually make a little more. I was fortunate that they paid me the same that they do here. But a lot of guys, the veterans, make incredible money in independent baseball. Like, you know, they, they have salary caps and whatnot, but they'll make pretty good money. And they, they'll make a living off of it. You'll see a lot of veterans that are still playing independent baseball because they can live off of it, you know. And, you know, you really got to definitely put in your time and dues here. But at the same time, they do take care of you. You know, people lose sight of that. I understand it is very hard being a baseball player and trying to take care of a family and whatnot. But it's very fortunate that they, you know, they house us, they give us food, they take care of us. We have the best facilities, you know, greatest staff. And I, I, I'm not one to complain about it because I'm, like I said, I've been at the bottom. And so this, for me, this, this is heaven. Like, I couldn't be happier. Have, have the finances ever been an issue where you've been forced to maybe choose not to do certain things? What do you mean? Just in terms of maybe cutting back uh, in the off season, fewer trips, maybe tougher travel, anything right. like that. Yeah, I mean, I would just say more so lately, especially since I've been married. You know, she's always harping on me, like, "Hey, can you not go out to dinner? Like, maybe cook for yourself a little bit. Like, go go buy pots and pans. I know you know how to cook. Make your own breakfast. Little little things like that, and not." going out with the guys like you know going to a nice sit-down restaurant like you know just little things here and there and i don't know it's it's really it's, it's hard especially when you want to eat healthy but uh, i've been i've been a lot better at it lately you've had probably by far the most positive view of minor league baseball and just the simple grind of mm -hmm. all our guests I, I want to talk about some of the sacrifices that you do have to make with one of the first and foremost being time away from your wife and your family. Would that be the biggest sacrifice in your eyes of what it takes to just simply survive in pro ball? Absolutely. That's for sure. I think anybody would, would say that's the hardest thing, being away from your family. Anybody who's close, um, there's always, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that, 
that's hard, but that, that's definitely the main thing. I mean, luckily, you know, I get to talk to them on the phone every night, and they, they we have video so they can watch the games and stuff, and we can talk about the game, but it's extremely hard. I, you know, would love to have my family and Aaron out here, but, yeah, that, it's it's tough. What are some of those moments that keep you going? It seems like in this game you can go two weeks without something positive happening or something that keeps you going you might be questioning why you're doing that are there moments along the way whether it be a big hit or just a funny moment on the bus or the clubhouse that make you realize that this is exactly where you need to be yeah definitely a combination of things i mean look we have an awesome group here i mean i'm living with you know some of the best guys on the team like the house that we're in like we go home and we, we play video games joke around and the guys are playing Monopoly, like, like or just, you know, it's it, it's very refreshing. It's, it's nice to have people that can help you separate what happened at the field. love talking to Aaron. I'm on the phone every night or on FaceTime. Like, in my family, obviously, it's it's just so nice. I'm able to separate what's going on here, life at home, in the field. Like, that's, that's the biggest struggle. I think people who aren't successful or dwelling on, you know, their struggles of the field and they can't, they're still thinking about it the next day. There's no way you can be successful in this game if you're doing that. How do you find that balance between, you know, whatever will be, will be, while also trying to have that tenacity still and that, that determination to, to fight to the next level? Right. That's, it's a constant battle. I mean, for me, I'm one of those people that um, believes in the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing. Like I'm always making just little slight adjustments. Like, even if I'm 0 for 4, I might just try just like, you know, striding out a little bit further, like bending my knees a little bit more, like keeping my head steady. I don't just keep doing the same thing all the time. And I think most baseball players are like that way. Like even if the hitting ball's hard and, you know, they're not getting hits, like I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to try pulling the ball like for once. Like I'm, I'm always trying to make just small little adjustments. We always like to present a few questions for, for the guys that are on this podcast. And, and the big one is, what would you compare minor league baseball to? And for your case, you can include independently baseball. So a few examples. Jace Boyd compared it to a zoo where people come in, they look at the animals, they take <laughs> pictures, they heckle, they, they almost treat you guys like objects. Kyle right. Johnson compared it to a ladder that gets smaller the higher you climb. So you can take some time to think about it if you'd like, but if there's oh, one man. thing you would compare it to, what would it be? I jeez, I don't I don't know if there's a comparison. Like that's that's tough. Honestly, I think a lot of people wouldn't say this, but I would compare it to having a real job. Like a lot of people think that what we do is is different than what most people do, but there's structure, there's things that we do to help build hard work and, you know, uh, like like we were talking about routines and just having a, a drive in the workplace like pe- everybody who's here is very motivated. In, in life, any job you work, you're going to have to wake up early. You know, you're, you're going to have to be on time. You're going to have to put in that work. You're going to want to have to be better. You know, it's it's not just a, I'm just going through the routine. Like, you know, if you want to be successful in the real world, you have to keep doing the things that we're doing. And I think you ask people that hire athletes and stuff, they'll, they'll look for athletes when they're hiring because they see that drive. They see, you know, this person had to go through all these struggles to get where they're at. Like, we, you know, we want to hire them. Do you ever think about life after baseball whenever that might be what you might be doing now? Yeah, you know, I'm not too sure. I I think about doing something like sports marketing. I think about doing something in business. I, I definitely want to finish school. That's something that I want to prove to myself and my family, you know, that I can do that. 
I can get a degree. And I understand I can get a job without without that piece of paper, but that's something I want to prove to myself. Like I can do that, and I'm really looking forward to eventually just you know walking down the aisle in that graduation ceremony. Like that would be a huge you know big huge deal for me. And how often do you take a step back and just take the long view of where you've been the last even just three years of how far you've come? Like every day, like every day. I mean, I, I text my family or you know talk to even the guys on the team like. I just can't believe it. Just like you said, that short period of time where I was and where I am now, I mean, it's incredible how much you mature just from, you know, your early 20s. And I, I, I can't wait to see where I'm at in like five years from now. I mean, I'll, I'll probably be a completely different person, but, you know, I, I know I'm going to be better. I know I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be content with where I'm at. I'm always going to, you know, just push myself, just try to get a little bit better every day. Devin, I'm going to leave you with, with the last word. If there was something people that you would like people to know about the duties involved with being a professional baseball player and some of the struggles what would those be man there's <laughs> there's too many things to count but i would i would say the main thing is to completely put your heart and soul in, in into what you're doing you know don't let anybody hold you back like really just i don't know Put all your effort, time and effort into one thing. Like, don't let other people pull you in the wrong direction. That's all I can say is surround yourself with the right people. Be very motivated and just keep working hard. I mean, that's, that's what any, anybody's going to say, right? I mean, and, uh, for me, that's all it's been is making sure I, I have people that pushing me to be a better person, you know, surrounding myself with the right people. And like, honestly, if you do that, I feel like you're going to be very successful. Yeah, but this was incredibly enlightening inspiring too and i really thank you for sharing your story i think people are really going to enjoy hearing it yeah awesome i really appreciate you having me our gratitude goes to kevin taylor for taking the time to share his story beyond the slash line is produced and hosted by me tim hyman our graphics were created by the very talented mike passanisi Music for this podcast comes from Ben Sound. If you're looking for royalty-free music, visit bensound.com. He has a full collection to pick from. Follow me on Twitter at Tim Hyman and follow the podcast at Beyond the SL. Head over to the iTunes store and subscribe to Beyond the Slash Line to get new episodes as soon as they're available. Or stop by my website, timhyman.com, to find the entire series. Thanks for listening. This has been Beyond the Slash Line.